When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 149. This opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming writer for AS and the Liga journalist returning back to the show, Robbie Dunn. Hello, Robbie. Happy preseason. Hey, how you doing, Dan? Thanks for having me back. Well, today Robbie is on the show not to talk about Barcelona starting preseason against Chelsea. For that, you can check out our Patreon with the match review as well as a video on our YouTube channel about the preseason later in the week because today we are talking the rest of the Liga, so not much Barcelona talk. Robbie, i got to tell you, I'm exhausted of the Neymar talk. We saw Griezmann for 45 minutes against Chelsea, so I think it's time that we talk about everybody else because the rest of La Liga has been moving up and down that transfer window. And before we get started, I actually just want to ask you, which team of all the teams, other 19 teams we're going to talk about, excites you the most to talk about? Uh, there's a couple of massive uh, t- teams with massive over um, uh, turnover. I guess, and uh, I don't know if excited is the word. Some teams are worried about. Some teams I don't really. A lot of the players they've brought that they've brought in, I don't know. So uh, the likes of Sevilla, on paper and in theory, it looks great, and there's loads of movement and there's loads of transfers, but we don't actually know how these players are going to fit in. And um, Atletico have had uh, a massive summer. Uh, I'm actually really excited about them. Um, Barcelona obviously adding Griezmann to their attack. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see the, the promoted teams coming up. Uh, Mallorca especially had a pretty special run in the playoffs uh, to get promoted in, in, in the end. And they've um, 
they got a pr- pretty interesting story there coming up from Segunda B up to Segunda and then all the way to into the into La Liga. So uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty of teams that I'm excited about. Oh, and also Real Sociedad's, uh, they've completely overhauled their attack, haven't they? They've added a lot of youth. Um, it looks like, well, there was talk that uh, Borja Mayoral is going to go there as well from Real Madrid. So they've got four on on paper again. <laughs> uh, pretty exciting young talents with uh, Odegaard, Isaac, uh, Porto and Mayoral. And um, if they can make that work, they, they're going to be one of the most interesting teams definitely to watch this season. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned with Mayoral where Real Madrid is one of those teams because they're selling off to not necessarily a lot of other La Liga teams, but we knew there's going to be a lot of movement for Real Madrid. And Atletico Madrid, I'd say, have really been the first domino of the transfer season. But we're going to start here with Real Madrid. They were third in La Liga last season. They brought in Ethan Hazard, Luka Jovic, Eder Militao, Ferland Mendy, Rodrigo, Takafusa Kubo, and they didn't really lose anybody of note, as we mentioned. If Zidane didn't like him and didn't want to plan on using him, including Danny Ceballos or, or Marcos Llorente, then they're on their way out. And the biggest story here that we've been following is Gareth Bale, Robbie, uh, and with the assumption that Gareth Bale will not be with Real Madrid for a- another week or two now. But I got a, a hot take for you. I think that the Gareth Bale saga and all the bad press is coming from that is really good for all the other names we mentioned, whether it's Hazard, Jovic, Mendy. It takes the pressure off of all these new arrivals because the media circus is surrounding a player that might not be there in a few weeks. Yeah, and it also takes the pressure off um, in- incoming signings because at the end of the day, I, I, it's kind of a strange one because Real Madrid, you, you know, like the way we discuss and, and the way that we analyze transfer markets and, and teams that get their work done early, it, it looks like they had their work done, their, their homework done, and they, they got in and, and acted fast, got the players they wanted in to start preseason at the right time. Real Madrid did that, and at the start, they were the clear winners of the transfer market, and they had all this work done before um, anyone really got off, um, it got going themselves. But now they've kind of slowed down. And when you look at it on paper, OK, Hazard is, is, is world-class and he adds definitely something to, to the team. Uh, and he's going to be, I think he's going to be excellent. And for the £100 million that they got him for, I think it's excellent. He's in the prime of his career, all of that. But then when you look at the other players, like Marcelo is going to start at left-back. So Ferland Mendy is going to back him up. Then you look at the likes of Jovic, who's going to back up Benzema. And then um, uh, Militao is going to back up Ramos Varane. They haven't really added, and, and he's gotten rid of, not quite yet, but he's going to get rid of Ceballos, who's who's flown to London today and looks like he's going to sign with, with, with Arsenal. Um, he's gotten rid of Marcus Llorente, um, and they looked quite open at the back without Casemiro. So what happens if Casemiro goes down in the in, in two games into the season? He doesn't really have a natural backup, stuff like that. So I think, and, and it was funny because Jose Mourinho kind of passive-aggressively said that Zidane is going to be tested now. This is his first proper test. He's building his own squad now. Um, and and I think he really needs to reinvigorate that midfield and, and, and refresh it because that was a problem area for them last season. Isco isn't going to get in there and get his hands dirty and, 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 and do the do the kind of uh, engine work that's required. Uh, neither is Asensio or, or any of these players. 
Um, and all, uh, and Pogba is definitely needed for what Zidane seems to be trying to do is turn them kind of into a mini mini France or maybe not mini France but a different version of France this kind of pragmatic uh, energetic physical side um, and then you get all the youngsters who Kubo looks excellent Rodrigo looks excellent every time he touched the ball the other day he was fouled and scored that wonderful goal all look excellent but it looks like they're probably going to go to either Castilla or, or maybe Zidane hasn't ruled out loans for them so one thing we know for sure is that Castilla are probably going to be excellent next yeah. year under Raul, but are they going to fit into the first team? I'm not quite sure. Like How much better have they gotten? They've gotten loads of backups and, and they've improved their squad depth, but have they gotten better at any positions other than Hazard? I, I couldn't say for sure. Yeah, I actually think back to the late 80s when the Real Madrid-Castilla was uh, basically at the peaks of their power, if you will, but the Real Madrid first team wasn't getting the success that they would have liked. Uh, and I got to tell you, Robbie, we, we, I, I instituted last week a strict no Takafusa Kubo talk here on the podcast. So we're going to have to move on to Atletico Madrid uh, for that reason. And I think they're an example of a team that they brought in so much. João Felix from Benfica, obviously, with the Antoine Griezmann money that they knew was coming in because tampering's not real. Marcos Llorente from Real Madrid. Mario Hermoso from Espanyol. Kieran Trippier from Tottenham. Hector Herrera from Porto, Fernand Lodi coming in from Brazil, pretty much an unknown at the left-back position, Felipe coming in from Porto, and potentially the biggest of the bunch, James Rodriguez, there are rumors about him, but that's not official yet. I think that really is, you know, the big name that we'd see other than João Felix, because, again, he's still a teenager, we don't know what he's going to get. But then you look at Atletico Madrid, for all they brought in, as exciting as that is, They've lost Griezmann, Lucas Hernandez to Bayern. They lost Rodri, maybe their best player last season to Man City. Diego Godin after all these years. I know he wasn't as great as he was last year as he's always been, you know, an all-time La Liga legend. Going to Inter, Angel Correa, AC Milan just this week. And then Felipe Luis just today going to uh, Flamengo. But again, Felipe Luis not at the peak of his powers anymore either. All that said, Atletico Madrid have had basically as much out as they have in. Do you think that's going to take Diego Simeone a little bit of time to adjust everybody to that system? Yeah, certainly. But uh, I, one of the things he also wanted to make sure of this summer was that he did get those players in to start preseason because, as, as you know, uh, he demands a lot from his players. He requires that kind of that that, that physical side to, to, to uh, from all of his players. And also, uh, his tactics are very specific. Um, he's very detail-orientated and he wanted to make sure everyone was in. So he's gotten everyone in and we saw we saw the pictures and we saw the footage of him, of the Trippier getting the Mono Burgos treatment. He was mm-hmm. uh, being told exactly <laughs> what was expected of him. So, um, yeah, it's interesting because you said Rodri, they lost Rodri and it's absolutely a blow, but it, it, it did also feel like he didn't really fit in at Atletico. He was kind of a peg in a round hole at times and Llorente might be a little bit more physical a little bit more willing to 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 cover ground um, uh, be that Simeone holding midfielder uh, obviously massive question marks is Joe Felix going to uh, step in and continue on from his form from last season he looks the part he he spoke quite well at his presentation and um, also Simeone brought in some nice uh, experience uh, with with the likes of with the likes of Felipe and and uh, Hector Herrera there they've added depth and then they've got a, a Mario Hermoso wonderful uh, I really like him yeah uh, really like that one. yeah really you really, really like that signing and, and you and you could definitely argue that he's an upgrade on on Diego Godin the, the, the the Diego Godin from last season, that is, and 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 you're also replacing the Diego Godin from this. What we're expecting from him this season, he's a year older, he's 33 now, and he had been has been regressing. So, I mean, 
that's a, you consider that an upgrade. Obviously, they've lost a leader in the dressing room, but it's a whole new dynamic now. And I think with Griezmann, I know that Griezmann's um, uh, wage, his salary definitely caused some friction in the team last season and, and there were some players kind of wondering why he was paid so much and they were kind of not being looked after as well and now that Griezmann's gone it's a little bit more fair maybe a little bit more of a uh, the hierarchy has kind of restored itself to a more natural a natural place and I think they'll definitely they'll definitely um, improve well, not sorry not definitely but they'll definitely benefit from that as, as, a, as a locker room and as a, as a team yeah, I mean, we've talking about the top three in Barcelona and the two Madrid teams. Uh, with Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid going to such big overhaul, Barcelona has this season been the constant where, again, just picking up Griezmann. Now, obviously, I think the Neymar stuff is starting to die down. Hopefully, that would throw a monkey wrench in. Um, on the opposite side of that, outside of the big three, if you will, Sevilla, who finished sixth last season, which for them, I think they would have, I mean, Sevilla, I think, always wants and is going for that fourth-place spot. That's what they want. They want Champions League. But finishing sixth, they brought in the Calvary. That's who they brought in. You mentioned them at the top of this. Jules Kunde from Bordeaux. Wernas Dabar, the Israeli striker from RB Salzburg in Austria. Lucas Acampos, who's been around France for a while, uh, playing for Marseille. Diego Carlos from Nantes in France. Joan Jordin from Ibar, maybe the biggest pickup I want to say for them let's mourn him in a second Luke de Jong experienced Dutch striker from PSV Oliver Torres Atletico Madrid youth returns after many years with Porto Maximilian Wolber from Ajax the uh, the I believe Austrian center back can play left back right back as well Fernando from Galatasaray adds a little bit of bite in that midfield Sergio Reguilon from Real Madrid. Even though he was liked last season, Zidane has already decided uh, he's a little bit too much. Nemanja Gujelj from Evergrande coming back from China to the, to the European scene. And Brian Heal, who at the moment is playing with Juan Miranda and Alvaro Ruiz at the Spain, with Spain U19. So he actually isn't a part of uh, Sevilla's preseason at the moment. And Sevilla lost Pablo Sar- uh, Sarabia, who was terrific last season. Quincy Promps, Luis Muriel. Gabriel Mercado finally heads out the door at Sevilla, and Andre Silva goes back to AC Milan. So for Sevilla, they did lose a ton of their attacking prowess, but they also, again, brought in almost an entirely new team. Absolutely, yeah. And I was just thinking, like, um, Julian Lopetegui, uh, maybe not, not his last stand, but certainly his last uh, chance maybe with a big uh, top club um, because... Obviously, we saw him at Spain, and he and he did worked wonders at Spain, but was never really tested in in terms of he never obviously never saw the World Cup. But they all they had that victory over Argentina. They looked absolutely uh, like world beaters uh, at times under his uh, command. And then he came to Real Madrid, and the the place was just it's it's you really and truly just can't judge him on that. They they, they were trying to play a, a particular brand of football. They had just lost Ronaldo. Um, he, like they could not score for for love nor money. And um, I, I I think it's really it would be really harsh to judge him on this. Say, having said that, Monchi is back at, at Sevilla and he's doing what Monchi does best and he's just buying kind of none of those players are all that expensive. Um, they're they're all young. Like I mean, the oldest player I think is like uh, Luke De Jong is twenty eight. So you look at like the likes of the, the, some of the best, some of the ones that jump off the page there, like uh, Oliver Torres. I mean, he he was really highly rated. Atletico kind of had a couple of problems with work rate and things like that. And maybe the more attacking style of football would suit him better. The likes of John Jordan, twenty four, like massively um, 
talented uh, midfielder who um, who can re- who will really fit into what to what Lopetegui is trying to do there. Um, and I guess it's just a matter of how well he can get them all to blend together in a short sp- uh, period of time. But as you said, they finished sixth last season. So, I mean, that's that's who Sevilla are. That's their identity, and certainly that's their identity under Manchester. They have to keep reinventing themselves because they don't really have anything to lose. Okay, they could drop into the bottom half of the table. They can miss out on Europe and things like that. But but they're never really going to drop that far and they're never going to really and truly compete so they're kind of in that area where they where they do have room to to play around I feel and and Manchi benefits from that and and every maybe two or three years they really um they really strike oil and 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 get a team together that that can that can maybe make it to the Champions League and things like that but yeah like it just comes down to how well Lopetegui can get all these kind of youngsters. Uh, I don't want to say misfits, but this kind of, and it's not a ragtag bunch either, but like you get the likes of Luke de Jong, uh, uh, Oliver Torres, the players who've kind of been to different leagues and, and then from they're coming from League One, um, uh, RB Salzburg, um, uh, the Eredivisie, like, and they're, they're kind of coming into La Liga, and it's about how well Lopetegui can get them to adapt to that. Basically, is is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure, there will be there will be one to succeed, and certainly on that whole list, they're not all going to succeed, and some will fail. And whether or not Lopetegui can basically squeeze as most as much talent as he possibly can out of that huge list is whether or not Sevilla, I think, finishes. I mean, potentially even third or fourth, uh, as opposed mm. to what they did last year with six. Now. We're going to switch gears and do the opposite thing because we just talked about Sevilla bringing in all those players and talking about an athletic Bilbao transfer window who finished eighth, by the way, last season. Talking about athletic Bilbao transfer window is trying, it's like trying to explain the flavor of water, Robbie. It's, uh, it's, I don't know what we're doing here. They, well, and by what they're doing, it's because of their policy. Obviously, they had Markel Suseta. Uh, Mikel Rico, longtime player, uh, they left on free transfers, as well as Sabine Marino, uh, who went to Leganes, born him later. Ander uh, Iteraspe uh, goes to Espanol, and Alex Ramiero goes to Sociedad. Uh, now, Basque, my pronunciation, not so great with those names, but they've all been yeah. replaced with uh, three youngsters, Peru Nalakun, who we saw at the uh, in a rare appearance last season. He plays at center back and played defensive midfield as well. But, I mean, Bilbao, it's going to be more about trusting their system. And the guys, though, that they are bringing in, those three youngsters, uh, two of the three we've seen before in different leagues. So for Bilbao, it is more of the same. Instead of cashing in and using a lot of the money that they built from the Kepa, uh, transfer. It seems like their list of players that they could potentially bring in of Basque origin uh, was limited, even with the Kepa money this season. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I just say they're kind of their whole their whole identity uh, obviously is built around the t- the team, the structure, the 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 the, the area, the region. And um, Garitano obviously came in and settled the ship there um, last season, and he is. He's got his first season as the as the manager proper, and he 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 definitely um, made them better when he did come in. So I'm sure he be, he'll be trying to build on that, and uh, a couple of those younger players who he'll know from the from the underage system uh, coming through as well. And uh, yeah, so they lost those players, and I thought I thought like Susayeta was quite good last year as well. And um, obviously Mikel Rico is getting on, um, but I'm surprised that they didn't offer Susayeta. Uh, uh, an extension, and he, he's still without a club. It seems like so. Uh, 
yeah, as I said, it's kind of hard to assess it because uh, the young guys coming through, Gareth, uh, they're just, uh, I mean, they'll be really disappointed with last season, I'd say, uh, because given the fact that they finished eight and they started so poorly, um, they feel like they might be feeling like maybe they could have gone two or three steps further um, uh, if, if they had uh, got the time and, and, and didn't uh, waste those first maybe six to seven months. I think they continue to be incredible to me just because of the world of the transfer window and the global football the way it is now, the way that they can continue to survive in La Liga with that policy, uh, not only for as long as they have, obviously, they're the only other team with Real Madrid and Barca who've never been relegated. But as you know, I feel like we're in a point now, basically over the last, what, six, seven years since the transfer numbers went completely bonkers, that every year that they survive seems to be more and more of a compliment to the structure that they have. And you mentioned coaching is is at a premium there, and that's where it's important. Uh, if they don't have the infrastructure there, they're going to collapse like a house of cards immediately in the ways that we thought they would last season. And holding on to Inyaki Pena, I mean, uh, sorry, Inyaki Williams, again, uh, is, you know, the most important piece of their puzzle. Uh, and if they can continue to hold on to him and he can continue to bang in some goals, maybe bang in some goals uh, both home and away this season would be big for him. But let's move on to Valencia, where we have a former Barcelona goalkeeper in Jasper Sillison. I want to say that's their big move, uh, but they basically it's a swap with Neto. Bringing in Maxi Gomes from Celta de Vigo, a, a Barcelona target, was basically another swap for Santi Mina. They brought in Shirashev, Denis Shirashev from Villarreal, Mano Viejo from Cadiz, Jorge Sanz from Tenerife. So basically, Valencia not doing too much. They like their squad from last year. They held on to pretty much everybody. The only move we say they made was they sent promising backup left back Tony Lotto to PSV to get some game time. So Valencia, do you like? I guess we'll say their lack of transfer activity. Yeah, well, that's that's another that's another kind of a team that are that are built on their system. And Marcelino is uh, obviously really really detail orientated. Um, it's an interesting one bringing in Maxi Gomez and swapping him out for a player, uh, Santi Mina. Like Santi Mina would have complemented. Uh, Rodrigo quite well and that he could kind of play to the left and the right whereas whereas uh, Maxi Gomez just a pure number nine he can't really do a whole lot more than that uh, and Rodrigo will be kind of similar he's a little bit more agile maybe he could probably drop and, and possibly play as the second striker but um, yeah it's interesting to see what happens there they were they were uh, talking about the, the most recent friendly uh, for Valencia and they were saying about what, what Marcelino is trying to do and it seems to be Maxi up front and 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 maybe that they could slot in Rodrigo and things like that. So uh, yeah, like basically, yeah, it's 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 Marcelino and is is in his it's in is this is his third year now I believe uh, as the manager or second I, I can't think at the moment. But yeah, he's all about that detail and and uh, obviously um, they they did really well last season. Uh, won the Copa del Rey and. Um, They'll, yeah, they'll be trying to go go move move up another gear, and they'll be definitely vying for that Champions League space um, in in next season, I'd say. Well, and speaking of European finishes, last year, Hatafe again, you're based in Madrid, so you got to see them a bit. They finished fifth, and Barcelona fans know Mark Cucurella, uh, instead of being kept as the backup left back, he was immediately, uh, after being rebought from Ibar, he was immediately sent out on loan to Hatafe for a little bit of a price. 
the two guys that Hadafe have brought in, uh, I think that, uh, Robbie, again, you can be a testament to this, that they brought in players at the positions they needed. Now, we know that Hadafe, with their system, was excellent last year defensively. They do all those things. The only place that you might be afraid would be scoring goals. So they brought in Jack Harper from Malaga, uh, who, while he did play well in the second division, he's still a younger player, Scottish-Spanish player, four goals to assist. But then Enric Gallego from Huesca, that was the big get I'd hear. He had five goals after he joined Huesca in January, was starring for Extra Madura prior to that in down in the Segunda. And just looking at his transfer stuff, what a story. They, they always talk about it on the Spanish football podcast with Sid Lowe, but the Catalan and Gallego hit. Uh, he was at Cornea twice, Alot, Valladolona, and Espanol B before finally getting a shot. I think a crazy stat for him, though. 131 appearances down in the third tier, 48 goals, no assist. So I think Gallego, his, his, his career up to this point has told you exactly what he is and exactly who he is. And now the question is going to be, uh, as Hidafe are playing champ, I mean, not Champions League, but as Hidafe will be playing Europa League as well as La Liga, we've seen throughout a lot of other leagues, I, I think even Köln is more, one of re- more recent examples in the Bundesliga, when teams have to go from basically being a relegation fighting team to being a Europa League playing a- across more fronts, uh, it tends to really, really suffer. And so for me, Hadafe, that would be the worrisome sign that this just isn't going to be enough reinforcements to be in Europa League and La Liga and try to even have the legs, not not even could compete, but to have the legs across all competitions. Yeah, absolutely. And they do play that physical style under Bordelas. So yeah, that's that's going to be a concern. But Cucurella, uh, Cucurella is, is definitely, a, um, I would say he's even an upgrade on Antunes, went down with a cruciate knee ligament injury and he's 32. And I remember looking at his statistics at the time and uh, he was really, maybe not underrated, probably rated, uh, but he wasn't spoken about enough maybe. Um, as as kind of the, one of those driving forces from left back under Bordelas, and they've gotten a, a a replacement for him now, which they didn't really have um, at at the time when Antunes went down. So, and they've also got a youngster there, uh, Uruguayan Matias um, Oliveira, who who stepped in for uh, Antunes, who he and he's really good as well. So they so they have um, they've replaced Antunes perfectly in that sense. Which obviously was a problem area for them is somewhere that they that they wanted to improve on. They've also kept Jenny, who's who's absolutely excellent. Which is actually probably a more at the moment they have him obviously, uh, which is obviously which is maybe a more impressive feat than anything any other player that they were going to bring in. Uh, midfield, yeah, definitely you'd be concerned about their depth there. But in but like they've had like a really interesting strategy in Katafe. I remember like when Katafe got relegated, they were kind of a little bit of a laughing laughing stock maybe due to the fact that they're a club in Madrid and they couldn't re- they're kind of out in the outskirts obviously in the suburbs and they couldn't ever really get that many the fans into their stadium and they're kind of like the the, the, the stepchild of the of La Liga and, and of Madrid football when you've got such massive clubs like Atletico and, and the storied Rayo Vallecano and Real Madrid and Getafe were just kind of this bland uh, also ran almost uh, but they've with the under under their transfer strategy has been underrated I think like I mean they brought in for example they brought in uh, Jaime Mata uh, last season and he was absolutely excellent like a steal from the Segunda Division and then mm-hmm. they've gone and done that again and it feels like maybe I don't know this obviously but it feels like they've got like some kind of a 
strategy to bring in big, physical, strong, goal-scoring uh, number nines and just kind of rotate them, uh, given the uh, circumstantial um, uh, select team selection. So Jack Harper would be quite similar uh, like to, to maybe Jaime Mata. Not, not physically, they're similar. Maybe they don't play the same style, but they've got that they've got like loads of options up front now where they can change the pace change the um change the kind of uh, the tempo so so i think that their transfer strategy in that sense is is correct or, or they they seem to think it is and they're going with it and they're just going to keep going with it until it stops working so i i'm not as concerned about that um they, but but their midfield yeah they need to they need to probably bring in a player or two to 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 deal with the the added games well, now that they're in Europe, uh, you could say that they might be hipster picked to watch this season because, again, now they should be on people's radar after how successful they were last year, even though they don't play the attracting fo- the attractive football that people want. And a team that could be yeah. another hipster pick this year, as we've heard Real Batiste for the last few seasons, maybe they're uh, some of that hipsterism, and we'll get to Batiste in a minute, but uh, of all that hipsterism is kind of dying down at Batiste. I think Real Sociedad has kind of tried to build up that karma, as you mentioned at the top, by bringing in Porto from Girona, uh, Alexander Isik, the 19-year-old from Dortmund, Modibo Sainan, who he played for Lens in the uh, in the second division in France last year, and please do not tell me or tweet at me that, that you watched him last year. You don't know who he is, uh, but he's a young player that they brought in. Very promising. Uh, Martin Odegaard is back on another Real Madrid loan, but this time he finally gets to play in the Liga after all this time. Again, the Norwegian is still in his early 20s, though, so it's not like Odegaard uh, is too old for anything. So he's going to be an exciting one. And then they've promoted 17-year-old Ander Berenksa, who is also currently with the Spain U19s at the moment. That is, again, he's just 17, but Real Sociedad have shown in recent years it's not just Bilbao that knows how to use their academy. So I, I think for Real Sociedad, when they promote and bring in a young player that they think is really good, you have to tend to believe them. And they finished ninth last season. So for me, I think this could be a high-flying team that winds up challenging for Europe, or this could be a team that winds up just not having it uh, and winds up falling down the pecking order a little bit this season, maybe finishing a 14th, 15th, 16th. Yeah, um You'd, yeah, you'd wonder what what's going on with their defense, maybe. But no, they, they they look way more solid after they they changed coach last season too. But um, yeah, like I mean, in attack, that 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 guy you mentioned, and um, Ander Baranitsa, uh, or I think that's how you say it also. Uh, but um, the he was the guy that played and scored against Real Madrid uh, at the end of last season, uh, and I'm not saying I know him or I'm not, <laughs> I don't know him that well. But I saw him in that game, and he looked really well. But then yeah. All, all reports coming out of uh, coming from like you sometimes think maybe Odegaard is twenty four or five. It's like oh, it's time. He's only twenty. Like I mean, he he's got loads of time. Um, and uh, and anyway, people have been saying that when he went on loan, he was really good, and he might be the kind of player to knit that all together there uh, with the likes of Porto, add some add some pace in attack. Um, and uh, yeah, like I mean, they've already got Oyar uh, Thabal, who was absolutely excellent last year, probably set for another step forward next season. Um, like in attack and in midfield as well, they look absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, you'd wonder about their defence, but um, and how how that's going to work out. But no, they, I'd, I'd say I'd say they're going to be absolutely fine, and I, I would say definitely. They'll be thinking about pushing for Europe, I would say, next season, uh, definitely given the players that they've added and are probably still going to add to. Well, the team that pushed for Europe last year in Espanyol finished seventh. Now, 
That was the one place on my season preview that I got completely wrong last year. I mean, this is a Barcelona podcast, so I think I'm supposed to say that I think they're going to get relegated. <laughs> I'm supposed to say that every year. And, yeah. you know, they did lose Hermoso, as we talked about, to Atletico Madrid. They lost Aaron Martin, their left back, to Mainz in the Bundesliga. We're finally seeing Sergio Garcia, after all this time, leave. So Kules uh, can be happy that they don't have to look at Sergio Garcia's face anymore. They did bring in Fernando Espinosa from Girona as poor Girona. Again, I don't think they deserve to get uh, knocked down or relegated, but unfortunately, uh, they just weren't good enough in the spring. So they have, as we've been seeing through here between Porto, we'll get to Perry Pons, but Bernardo Espinosa, uh, they are getting, they have been picked apart one by one. With Espanol, the big pickup this season, uh, Mateus Vargas, 22-year-old coming from Vélez Sarsfield so in, in Argentina. So he's not a brand new commodity uh, as a player, but he has been playing his trade in Argentina, and he's going to be He's really going to have to be the key. As the attacking midfielder, he's really going to have to be their their key this season, I I believe, at Espanyol. But again, they've been able to do uh, more with less for the last few seasons now. uh, And I think, if anything, they're in a positive direction, having finished seventh last season. Yeah, definitely, and I think we're de- we're going to get to see just how impressive uh, what Ruby did last season was finishing the top half with them. And um, he's obviously gone to Real Betis now, and they brought in David Gallego, who I, I be honest, I don't really know too much about. But um, uh, yeah, they've, they've, Hermoso is going to be a, a massive loss for them. And um, Aaron Martin as well is 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 quite a devastating blow for them just he's so young given the fact that he's so young um, yeah like it's going to be like Espanyol are one of those teams who haven't really had much of an identity in recent years it looks like they might also lose Borja Iglesias to Betis um, so they could very well slip back down uh, into those relegation areas um, but uh, yeah I guess we'll have to wait and see to see what kind of identity they have how they cope with the loss of Ruby how important Ruby actually was and um, yeah, it's going to be only time will tell on that one, I guess. Well, a team that was expected to be in the relegation battle last year, but instead was fighting for the Champions League for uh, at least until about February, until when things really, really fell off. That's Deportivo Alaves, who wound up finishing 11th. Again, they were in fifth place pretty much halfway through the season. They bring in Lucas Perez from West Ham. Uh, Joselu from Newcastle, Pere Pons from Girona, and Ramon Mirez from Tigre in Argentina. Three of those four are center forwards. You'd expect that they're going to try to be making up for the nine goals they lose through Jonathan Collieri, uh, unless they find a way to bring him back. He went back to his club, uh, his, his native club in South America, but we'll see if he is not brought back uh, once again. But again, all that said, it seems like three of the four are center forwards, and Deportivo Alaves understands what the issue they had and what they needed to bring in. And it seems like they have, uh, they have given attention to their spot of need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Lucas Perez, like he was absolutely excellent at Depor and didn't obviously do it at Arsenal or at West or at West Ham. So yeah, he'll be happy to be back in the North of Spain. I'm guessing. And yeah, another, another strange one, like as in they pushed really, really hard for, um, uh, in, in in Europe, massively unexpected, obviously. Um, they lost Abelardo, so um, they're another team that we're just going to have to wait and see, like how how impressive they're going to be, uh, or how, what kind of an identity they have next season, um, because it's kind of a lot of kind of churn there in the transfer market. But again, it's going to be really difficult to see just what, um, yeah, like like uh, Garitano plays a 
quite a conservative style. Uh, he did so at Leganes, obviously, uh, and we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I guess we just have to see what kind of an identity he brings to the to the team. Well, next up, the most I think the most imp- impressive team, as opposed to uh, as well as doing the most with least. Ibar finished twelfth last season. Their three pickups all come from the Saguna division, so they don't they ha- have yet to really sign somebody uh, of note from La Liga. They get Edu Exposito from uh, Deportivo Coruña, as you said, as well as Kike from Coruña, Pedro Bigas from Las Palmas. They did lose Jean Jordan for 14 million euros. So they, for once, I think maybe ever, Ibar does have a little bit of money to spend. They also actually gained a profit on Kukurea, who they had on loan last season, uh, wound up buying and then was bought back by Barcelona. And Ruben Pena goes to Villarreal. So they do lose those three pieces. Again, uh, Jordan was so, so important to them last season. And they're just looking to believe in their own talent evaluation by using Segunda Division players. Uh, again, they're going to pocket a little bit of the Jordan money. So they're one of those teams that I don't know if their transfer business is all the way done. But if Ibar's history is any indication, and by that I mean their recent La Liga history, they're really not going to be spending money. And they're just going to believe in their system. And they, they are that seemingly that one team. On the, You watch from the, the far view of their stadium. It's a stadium that doesn't look like it belongs in La Liga because, I mean, visually it really doesn't. But they're a scrappy team that seems to know how to get results in the league over the last few seasons. And I, I think, again, their transfer window is not indicative of how they finish in the season. No, absolutely. And, and yeah, as you said, they're relying on uh, Mendilibar to coach the players up that they bring in. Some nice young young players uh, like Alvaro Tejero came in from Real Madrid. Uh, Castilla, uh, an excellent left back um, with with. with plenty of room to grow. I'm sure Mendilibar is going to make him uh, better. Uh, Exposito as well, 22. And um, uh, R- Roberto Olave from Atletico Madrid B as well. Who uh, And then they've also added added like that little bit of experience up front with Kike, who was, who was massively impressive last season for Deport. He got... Uh, he scored like 15 or 16 goals um, as Depor, and Depor were not by any means an attacking team last season so uh, yeah he's uh, yeah and, and as you said they're not a team that's going to go out and start spending tens of millions of euro in the, in the transfer market they're going to rely on Mendilibar to coach the players up and uh, but Johan Jordan is a massive a massive loss but I wouldn't yeah as, as you said a tiny team beating the odds every single season they're not looking to obviously they wouldn't reject the, the chance if it fell to them but they're not a team looking to get into Europe they're just kind of trying to uh, not so much tread water but mid-table and just keep growing slowly but surely um, and uh, I'm sure they'll keep doing that next season as well and what about another Madrid-based team? Finished 13th last season in Leganes. They bring in Jonathan Silva, left back from Sporting CP, Fede Varela, uh, attacking midfielder from Porto, Juan Munoz from Alcacorn, the center forward, and Sabine Marino from Athletic Bilbao. Another team that's not going to spend a lot in the transfer window. It's all about the system. Uh, and again, that's another name in Leganes that I always wonder when things are going to stop working out, but Again, they continue to stay up in the Liga uh, last season, again, finishing 13th. Yeah, I'd, I'd actually I'd have a little bit more faith than, than a lot of people because a lot of people are saying they're definitely rele- relegation fodder. Because when you when you look at uh, Pellegrino's um, track record, he was at Alaves, but he was only there for a year. Um, and he left then for a bigger job, which didn't work out in the Premier League. He's back now. And I thought they were a really good team um, uh, for... 
especially against the bigger teams like they bet Barcelona last season um, really tough to play against and I'd say <laughs> I apologise for saying this uh, for every team but they're another team that are kind of relying on their coach to to give them an identity and to and to to, to make them hard to beat I guess um, obviously they're another team that's a little bit uh, too small for La Liga not too small but they're a small team um, uh, historically so they're just another team that's, that, that will be happy to maybe sit mid-table and they're not going to be driving on for, for the Champions League they haven't really spent that much money uh, well they haven't spent much money at all in the, in the transfer market getting Jonathan Silva back is massive he was really good for them last season from left back uh, kind of almost like a, uh, an added attacker at times uh, given his uh, propensity to get forward I'd say but um, yeah another team just kind of relying on, on uh, Pellegrino to make sure that, that he instills that uh, that identity further in them and makes them even tougher to beat and this is his second year obviously so um so uh yeah he'll have that kind of another summer under his belt and i i think they're actually going to maybe exceed expectations next season well i think there's a team that may not be able to exceed expectations having finished 10th last year real batiste who were expected to be uh competing for a champions league spot Gi- uh, giovanni lo celso seems uh, even though they bought him permanently, it seems like they won't be hanging on to him and he might be making the move very soon. But they did basically get the best deal of the summer, 20 million euros for Nabil Fakir from Lyon. We knew that he was going to go somewhere over the last few seasons. We thought it was Liverpool for a long time. So he comes from Lyon. They have Wanmi from Real Sociedad brought in. Danny Martin comes in from Sporting Gijon uh, with the note that they did lose Paulo Lopez. So he leaves uh, Spain for uh, uh, the rest of Europe, we'll say. And then Emerson, the young Brazilian fullback uh, with the financial split with Barcelona, he'll continue his progress at Batiste next year. And we talked about managers and their impact. And I think Real Batiste, because of the all the, the news about Kike Setien, I mean, we had three full shows about Kike Setien because of the, the <laughs> buzz and all the things that came about him potentially being a Barcelona manager and, and what what he was doing on the field, and yet he doesn't even last at Real Batiste. So for, I mean, I, I think this, we've been keep saying it, and, you know, you, you're doing a great job, Robert, I think, of making it, it, it known that for all the transfer business that happens, if the manager cannot make that pock lock into something tasty, it's not going to work out. So how will Ruby do is the big question uh, at Batiste, obviously. Yeah, but I've I've heard quotes from him, and and I think one of the one of the things that he's trying to make sure to do is he he said a couple of times that uh, we're, we're going to be more more attacking, more um, more vertic uh, more vertical. It had more direct, I think, is what he was saying, and he because he's trying to kind of shed that. Um, the, those bad feelings that the fans had over set the end because it really did get quite maybe not nasty at, at Betis at the end but they were definitely really annoyed with how they played and the kind of the, the how docile they were in games dominating possession for really long spells and then getting hit for two on the break and just um, really really uh, naive stuff I think so I think Ruby is coming in and he's going to make sure that they're way more uh, um, uh, direct in how they play. Uh, losing Paul Lopez, to be honest with you, Paul Lopez is a player that I, I never really I, I, like. Like Spurs were linked to him, I, I was never a huge fan of him. I think he, 
and I know I'm probably just have it in my head now, but he just looks kind of awkward and he looks a little bit nervous or something. So uh, Danny Martin coming in is, is maybe not an upgrade, but in years to in a couple of years, definitely that's going to be seen as a as a good deal for um for Betis. And uh, yeah, and they have that. I, I guess Betis would be historically massive big, big club in Spain and they've got that kind of as you said that hipster kind of vibe that kind of uh, nice football so I think players the likes of Los Celso and players like that really do want to go and move there and uh, to progress like we saw the likes of Budabus going there it didn't work out for him but uh, the likes of Victor Camarasso played there and, and trying to kind of um, uh, develop further and, and Fekir obviously going there now and trying to maybe Obviously, the interest wasn't there for him. Uh, Liverpool were linked last season, but that all died down. And Betis was probably the biggest club he could get to uh, this summer. But he probably saw Betis as the chance to go to a, a club in a massive city and um, with, with a with a diehard fan base who play historically played uh, nice football. And uh, he, he sees that as a chance to 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 kind of maybe drive his stock up again. So. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, again, it's all about how Ruby Ruby kind of uh, gets rid of those scars left over from Setien's tenure and um, gets them playing in a more uh, gets the fans behind him and gets them playing in a more kind of a, a spirited way, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to the uh, Paul Lopez hate. Uh, he is notoriously uh, uh, hated Jeez. by or, or distasted by uh, a lot of Barcelona fans. He's known for uh, being very antagonistic towards Messi in the penalty box. He always le- seems to leave a foot in or a cleat high. Uh, so, yeah, Paul Lopez, for being Catalan, raised in the Espanol system, not too well liked, but Kool-Aid. So I think they'll be happy to see him leave uh, Batiste. <laughs> so from one uh, traditionally big team to, I guess we'll say another in the new millennium, at least, in Villarreal, they finished 14th last season. They were fighting relegation for much of the year. They bring in Ruben Pena from Ibar. Raul Albiol returns to La Liga, and Alberto Moreno comes from Liverpool on a free. So Villarreal, they had a lot of places to fix and a lot of work to do, and I don't know if they, their transfer business so far has indicated that they've done enough. Yeah, I think maybe what it signifies is that uh, they they think last year maybe it was a little bit of an aber- like a, an aberration. It was a little bit of a... I'm not sure if that's the right word. It was a bit of a... No, that's uh, right. I think I, I an think outlier. Right yeah. yeah, an outlier. And I think that maybe they were looking at it going, we're, we're actually not as bad as we as we, um, as we we played last season. We've got, we've got plenty of talent um, and we will show who we really are this season. Maybe. They obviously see... They obviously saw um, fullback as an issue because they brought in three this summer, um, uh, and it's kind of a strange one because they brought in Moreno for for arguably the worst defensive team in the league last season. They brought in Alberto Moreno, who was absolutely uh, lambasted at Liverpool for his defensive lapses. But yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean. Uh, they maybe believe that they're good enough, and they do have plenty of attacking talent. They've got Casorla and uh, young uh, Manu Morlanes in midfield is excellent. Um, they've got uh, Samu Chukwueze, one of the most exciting young players in the league. Uh, I'm a huge fan of a Camby. Maybe not a huge fan, but I'm, I mean, I think he's definitely a serviceable attack striker. Jared uh, Moreno had an off year after being on fire for Espanyol. Yeah, I think they'll probably regress to the mean um, in uh, next season, and I think that that's what they're hoping for. But if this actually is who they truly are, then they're going to be in trouble all year, and they're not going to have a chance to fix it once the see once the transfer window closes. 
Yeah, that's. I think Chukwueze has the potential really to be a star this season. I think you could argue that he almost was last year, but um, yeah, he is going to, I believe, get sold next summer for a large amount of money. Um, and as you mentioned as well, Santi Cazzolo, maybe the most well-liked player. I think it's almost not an argument that he's the most well-liked player in Spain. He might be top three most well-liked players in all of world football. Not as in he has fans, but as it's it's hard to see Santi Cazzolo lose, and you always he he seems to to pull on the heartstrings because of how his footballing journey and just getting back to where he is now to still being able to play top flight football absolutely incredible. Um, and so for me, and I think a lot of people, you just want the best for Santi Cazzolo. Absolutely, and it, it, absolutely, yeah. And that smile he has could just light up any stadium, really, couldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and speaking of uh, lighting up the stadium, Levante did not do too much of that last year, uh, but they always, again, for the last few seasons, do enough to stay up. Uh, they finished 15th last season. Ruben Vessel from Valencia, Sergio Leone, uh, one to way Real Batiste, center forward, and Gonzalo Marlero from Huesca, as they also got picked apart just like Girona. That's what happened when you get relegated. But Levante doing what I think is expected of them in the transfer window, bringing in just a little bit of depth. Uh, again, Leon, I think, of the three, along with Vesso, uh, will most likely be the guys who could make the biggest impact for Levante next season. And I think Vesso has an, uh, the, op- the opportunity of maybe becoming one of Levante's most important pieces next year. Yeah, and it looks like they're kind of knuckling down for a relegation scrap and kind of adding that depth and making sure that they, they can stay healthier than the opposition. Um, Gonzalo Melero who's uh, really good for Huesca for a couple of years, but maybe he he, he, he didn't, um, he didn't, he was in and out of the team last season. It looked like his confidence was absolutely shattered. Uh, he could be a massive signing for them, but uh, yeah, again, it looks like they're just kind of in depth, adding experience and getting kind of knuckling down for a relegation fight. Yeah, Real Valladolid finished 16th doing the exact same thing. They bring in old Barcelona boy Sandra Ramirez, who's bounced around. I think when he sold, we signed for Everton back a few seasons ago, I think everybody kind of agreed that it was a worrisome thing for the player's career, and indeed it has been. He's been just out on loans, hasn't really developed in the ways that he's expected. It was always him and Munir, and Munir has obviously didn't survive at Barcelona, but he's become a much better professional. Uh, so Ramirez... Still in his early 20s, though, his career is not over in the least, and he still has time. This could be another reclamation project for him at Valladolid. Pablo Herves from Ibar comes as well, as well as Jorge de Frutos coming from Real Madrid's uh, um, youth system. And uh, But he's not really a young player either. He's somebody who's been kind of bounced around and you know never really was going to be expected to make it at Real Madrid. He just simply was on their books eventually to be sold. Yeah. Uh, so for Real Valle the lead, again, just bringing a little more depth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's Sandro one. Uh, Ronaldo obviously has the connections. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did bring in maybe a couple more players before the window closes. Uh, I would imagine if there's anyone if there's anyone going spare at Real Madrid, uh, Florentino Perez will be on the phone to him offering them up. Uh, they were linked with Lunin. Uh, the uh, Real Madrid's goalkeeper, so he and he was obviously named uh, the best goalkeeper at the Under Twenty World yeah, Cup. Yeah, he was terrific Ukraine. for Ukraine. And, yeah, terrific. Yeah, yeah, and ex- excellent. Yeah, it didn't go as planned at Leganes last season, but definitely uh, excellent. Uh, would be an excellent signing. <laughs> there was talk that Vinicius might go there, but uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, but uh, Sandro Ramirez is an interesting one because obviously. And it's just it's so interesting as to how one decision can kind of make or break a player's career. I remember Sandro Ramirez was so close to moving to Atletico Madrid, 
that fell through. He ended up going to Everton, and then all of a sudden he's been kind of bouncing around. He went to uh, Real Sociedad last year, just never got going at all again. And it, it's it's good for him maybe to start the season um, with Valladolid uh, and get a good preseason in, in and and uh, and and kind of integrate into that team and. If he could get ten or twelve goals, that might be the difference maker for them uh, as they probably battle relegation next season. Well, speaking of former Barcelona releg- uh, reclamation projects, Denis Suarez moves to Celta de Vigo, who finished a disappointing seventeenth last season. Joseph Idu comes from Genk from Belgium, and Santi Mina, who, as we talked about, in a swap, basically a swap for Maxi Gomez, who obviously goes to Valencia, and for Mina. He, I think, has always been a good servant, and his, for me, his floor, we'll say, you know how a player would have a ceiling and a floor, I think yeah. his floor is actually pretty high and is going to be helpful to Celta de, uh, Celta de Vigo. I think Denise Suarez is, is going to give them just a little bit. If they can hang on to, um, to Bryce Mendez and, obviously, their talisman in Diego Aspas, and the th- that, here's the thing. I mean, we know the answer. Even though they had a little bit of transfer business bringing in these three players, for Celta de Vigo, if they can keep... Iago Aspas, who is getting a little long in the tooth. If they can keep him healthy, they have a good chance to finish basically around the middle of the table. And if not, as he wasn't healthy last season, they're fighting relegation. And that seems to be the way it's going to be. And Celta de Vigo long-term, maybe it's Santimina, uh, but they're going to have to figure out a way to help out Aspas until it's time that he hangs his boots up. Then they're going to have to figure out how to replace him. And I don't really know how they're going to do that. Yeah, it looks like they're actually trying to do that with Suarez and Santimina, both Celta Vigo uh, youngsters. And uh, they've got Felipe Mignambres, who was the, who was the Rayo Vallecano sporting director, and he did a really good job. It was during that spell where Rayo were in the in the in La Liga for the for the for uh, the longest spell in their history. I think it was six years they were in La Liga with, under Paco Jemez. They finished eighth one year, their top. Uh, but yeah, but the point is that Mignambres did a really good job of kind of that kind of almost like the Manchi treatment where a lot of turnover kind of seemed to be able to find a deal, was able to extract uh, money from, from uh, players and, uh, and that looks it looks like what, that's what they've done. I mean, Maxi Gomez, they probably thought that they had maxed out uh, his, his, uh, product in Vigo um, and got rid of him and they brought in, Young guys who can who can step in when Aspas maybe isn't up to it, who kind of get the club, who understand it, um, and who can who can kind of give them that identity that that Aspas that they miss when Aspas isn't there. Yeah, it will be a challenge, but I'm excited to see exactly what Santimina and again I'm also hoping that Denise Suarez can uh, finally for once get the keys to a midfield and show what he can do. Uh, whether or not he he plays even on the wing. I don't, a guy, again, a guy in their mid-20s who doesn't, I feel like, have a permanent position that you know that he's going to be slotted in at. I hope he can finally find that. So that brings us to our mm-hmm. three promoted sides uh, in Osasuna, Granada, and Mallorca. We're going to start with Osasuna. They were the team that, that won the Segunda Division. They deserve this. They make the return to, uh, to La Liga. And what o- Osasuna might be known for by Kules is the fact that Messi bangs in a... Just an astronomical amount of goals against them. I don't know why he loves playing against Osasuna so much, but uh, it seems like every time they're up against one another, Messi is all over the back of the net. They bring in Ruben Garcia from Levante, Chimi Avila from San Lorenzo uh, in, in Argentina, as well as Barcelona product Mark Cardona 
who actually wasn't too bad last season playing in the Liga as well. Um, so Osasuna, again, they were the best team in Segunda Division. I think on paper, they have as good a shot as any of the guys fighting relegation of surviving next season. Yeah, definitely. And like Chimi Avila, that addition is is definitely of note. Uh, really good for Huesca last season. Um, and also Pervis Estupinian, who was with Mallorca. He he's he's a really he was really good for Mallorca at times last season. Ruben Garcia was arguably the best player in the Segunda Division last season. So uh, yeah, I mean they've they're, they're having a go at it. Um, and uh, it'll be just interesting to see how they how they hold up after after winning the after winning Segunda so easily. Sometimes it kind of doesn't pan out as as uh, because they they feel like they won Segunda so easily. Sometimes teams feel like they don't have to do as much in the transfer market and don't have to switch up as much, and then they kind of get into it and they're like, okay, we're we're not good enough here. As opposed to maybe a team that comes up through the playoffs and knows that they need to and know that they need to change things and and improve. Um, so yeah, it just it's just a matter of how they adapt. And one of those teams that knew they need to improve Granada brings in Domingos Duarte from Sporting CP and Jan Bryce from Sevilla, but he was loaned to Ameria last season, so he'll come in uh, to add depth as well. But Granada, they're the interesting team because of the way that they went down all those years ago. I, I can't think of a team that went out in such a uh, how do I say it? The opposite of a blaze of glory, if you will. Just a, a, yeah. a, a, a whimper. Flamed out. <laughs> exactly. Flaming out and whimpering out. Uh, they had a, a terrible transfer policy. They were paying way too much for players. And uh, it, it, the wage bill wound up just crushing the team. And they basically had to rebuild everything. Rebuild how they take in loans, how they utilize youth players. And it looks like Granada have, in the last two, three seasons, figured it out. And they make their return to the Liga uh, almost as, as a new franchise, if you will, even though it's the same old Granada. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, they, I think they kind of got a, a proper kick in the stomach when they did go down. They, they, I remember back then, I don't think they had one player from Granada they, they, and they, they got relegated and they, their, their whole policy changed. They were going to bring in more young talent, uh, give themselves that identity, uh, give them, give the, the, the city something because Granada is a wonderful city. Uh, and and it's kind of on its own there, so they have all the backing from the from the from the people of the city. So they wanted to get the people behind them again, uh, give themselves that kind of identity, and uh, they definitely got it. Uh, were really good last season in Segunda, and. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting again to see what, uh, like, I mean, Roberto Soldado looks like a really good signing. He could be the, uh, because it's a lot of these teams, like, you're looking for that one player who can get you maybe 8, 10, 12 goals and make that difference. Like, uh, maybe someone like, like the way Rio had, I know he couldn't make the difference, but the, the likes of Raul de Thomas, who can just change the complex uh, of your team completely. And uh, I, I'm sure Granada would be hoping that uh, Soldado can do that for them. Well, if I'm Roberto Soldado, who's played his. For so many teams in the Liga, I'm just going bench to bench trying to see if anyone notices I put on a new jersey throughout the season just to try to finish in the top <laughs> 10 if I'm a Berto Soldado. But uh, I guess it's yeah. good to see him back in the Liga. Uh, again, he is, again, getting up there in age, but we'll see what he has left in the tank. Uh, and mm-hmm. that that we're going to end this with uh, our final team, the team that got through the Segunda Division playoffs, that being Mallorca. And I'm going to start here where uh, I, I'm going to make Mallorca a little bit of a dance sandwich, if you will, Robbie, where I'm going to introduce Mallorca. Then I got a little bit of a rant about this team at the end. And I want to start by prefacing to say that for me, Mallorca, 
when they were in their heyday in the early 2000s, that was one of the first times I was able to, to see La Liga on television, uh, and not even La Liga matches, but even just see highlights or, or things like that. Uh, I, mm. would, I would watch on the little grainy uh, here in the United States. I would watch you know, basically through the, the streaks of, of colored lines, if you will, uh, on the TV. And I, I always liked what Mallorca had. They seemed to be an exciting team in their heyday. It's when I was able to, again, first watch Spanish soccer. So I have a special place in my heart for Mallorca. Um, but let's get to how they're going to they're trying to run their business. The exciting thing for them, though, they were able to make the loan deals of Ante Budimir and Martin uh, Valgent, who were both really important parts, their center forward and one of their center backs. They made both of them permanent uh, from their Italian teams. They brought Ilesh uh, Febes, who was a longtime Real Madrid player, actually is a Catalan player, but grew up in the Real Madrid youth system. He was loaned to Albacete last season. He was really, really good for them, I thought, in the uh, you know the two or three matches I was able to see um, for Albacete. And then they brought in Alex Allegria, who was uh, quite far down the Batiste center forward depth chart. Uh, but it does seem like they brought in a little bit of talent, but as you had mentioned even earlier, they lose one of their best players, Osasuna, and they are a team that has a lot of experience, not a lot of young players, but still Mallorca is a team that having made two jumps now in two seasons, all the way from the third division, which was, uh, as they said at the time, just a travesty and came out because of a lack of money. But they've come all the way back to the league in two seasons. I think in itself is an exciting story. But will that story be able to galvanize them now back in the Liga? Yeah, they've got a they've got a really good coach in Vicente Moreno, who was uh, the probably the best coach in the Segunda Division last season. Um, yeah, and as you said, really exciting team. Kind of you could see what it meant uh, to to the island when they got promoted last season, coming back against the odds against Depor. Um, really, fa- really fascinating team to watch last season as well. Really, really. Uh, um, Attacking got like um, Lago Junior, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, on the wing and and really kind of a really kind of dynamic team. The likes of uh, Danny Rodriguez as well, who's kind of getting a little bit older now too. But like this kind of this kind of really dynamic side and um, yeah, like I'll be interested to see how, how they do. Uh, obviously, adding Febas and, and 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 as you said, making that second jump in three years is in in sorry in two summers. Um, it might be a stretch for him, but for Santa Moreno, probably because he looks a little bit like him too. But he also, he uh, he really reminds me of um, uh, Girona's ex coach uh, Pablo Machin, who I thought was absolutely brilliant. And I'm surprised he hasn't really gotten a shot anywhere else yet. But kind of this really um, kind of uh, confident, uh, idealistic uh, coach who who who. who kind of inspires confidence in his side and I really like he kind of gives the team that kind of little bit of an oomph that they need so maybe he'll be able to navigate them out of relegation trouble but uh, yeah we'll have to wait and see yeah and I just want to go over uh, behind the scenes a little bit as we're talking about Mallorca if you will their their fall from grace in January of 2016 for 20 million euros at the time they were bought by Robert Sarver who for regular listeners of the podcast, uh, I seem to get a lot of positive feedback about my random NBA tirades. But Robert Sarver, for those who also follow the NBA here in the United States, he is the owner of the Phoenix Suns. And he bought them again for uh, just a wonderful profit for him, 20 million euros back in 2016. And now to see that they've gone back to the Liga. Part of that ownership group is well-known celebrities, including a United States men's national team player, Stuart Holden, played for Bolton Wanderers back in the day, and then Phoenix Suns longtime point guard, Steve Nash, who happens also to be my favorite basketball player. But with all those little asides, 
Robert Sarver is not known in the NBA and in basketball circles as being a terrific owner. He's a guy that doesn't really like to spend money. He's a guy that tends to mismanage things. Now, the only difference here is that Robert Sarver is quite hands-off with Mallorca. It's not like he makes decisions or has an office in the the Mm. training facilities or anything like that. So it is a little hands-off. But that said, I noticed that in January, I, I had seen, I think back in the fall, Pablo Ramon, who is a, was a 17-year-old center back for Mallorca. He made one or two appearances last year for the first team. But anyway, he, he's considered one of the top prospects in Spain, or at least even in the Segunda Division. And then Xavi Sintes, who's even younger, he was 16 on 17 last season. That combo, Pablo Ramon and Xavi Sintes, were sold to Real Madrid's U19 squad in January and became complete this summer for 1 million euros. And the worrisome thing there for me, Robbie, is that for Mallorca, for as exciting as their story is, and we talked about the fact that a lot of their core is much older, that Mallorca, I think, unfortunately, of, instead of holding on to Ramon and Sintes the best they could, they just took the deal of $1 million and now lost their, and I do say this, their two top prospects. And then beyond that, I don't know if they really, I, I don't know how many other prospects Beyond that, they have, again, I don't know the Mallorca full uses of that well, but I know the two names that made appearances for Spanish national teams, youth national teams, if you will, and things like that were sold for just $1 million in a combo deal. And to me, I think it's just it's a disheartening sign of having their top prospects that are very close to the first team. So instead of Pablo Ramon making a first team or uh, making 10 first team appearances for Mallorca next season in Liga, he instead is going to potentially make some appearances for Real Madrid in three or four years, or potentially maybe he'll be playing for Deportivo Alaves in five years. And I think that's just, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's nothing against these two players. I really do hope they succeed, even going to Real Madrid. But all that said, it's just, it's a worrying sign of business to me. And I don't know, Robbie, my thing is, is this me just trying to make a connection between uh, what I see in a worrying NBA owner owning Mallorca? Or do you think there's something more to this? Or do you think I'm making a big deal out of nothing? No, but I mean, obviously, if his if he's uh, if he's got his hand tightly clasped around the, the purse strings, um, he, he's he's that way in general. So maybe it's a case that Mallorca have not not I don't mean gotten lucky, but they've kind of maybe over they've they've gotten to this point based on Moreno's management, and they're probably a little bit ahead of schedule, and all of a sudden they're in La Liga and they're sitting there thinking. Okay, this is ever happening three years too soon. What what do we do now? Yeah, uh, maybe. And I'm just saying that. And and all of a sudden, it just kind of goes belly up uh, this season. Maybe, but because they haven't really done too much in the transfer market. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, it's it's a kind of an interesting one because uh, you've got uh, Alcorcon have new American owners as well, and you'd wonder like. Like uh, it's an interesting one to kind of dive into to see what kind of uh, level of involvement the likes of Steve Nash has as well. But they've got like a really good CEO there, and he was speaking. And uh, uh, I, I actually can't think of his name at the moment. But uh, yeah, like I mean, he's done an excellent job. So maybe it's being run. Maybe it's being run by uh, the club, and and that's kind of an out server, and those are an outside, um, are completely outside. But the problem is going to be when it comes to start maybe signing some checks, they're not going to be there to do it. Yep, yep. Their CEO, Mahedo Malongo. Correct. I Yeah, yeah I have heard yeah. that he has had some success there. And, and you're right that having American ownership being hands-off, uh, but in the same respect as we even saw 
uh, here in Major League Soccer in, in MLS with Robert Kraft, who has all the success for the New England Patriots. You always wonder what kind of money he's willing to put into the New England Revolution, which he also owns. It's almost an afterthought that he also owns the New England mm-hmm. Revolution. Um, so that can happen a lot here with American ownership. But in the same respect, John Henry owns Liverpool, and they win the Champions League because of the investment he's put in. So, again, there's I don't think there's a blanket statement about American ownership coming into uh, world football, but Mallorca is latest test subject of all of that. Uh, uh, Robbie, it's a credit to you after all this time, after more than an hour of breaking down every other team in the Liga other than that, we're still talking in the weeds about uh, the most minute things in the Liga, and that is again a testament to your hard work uh, as a La Liga journalist, uh, as a correspondent covering all of that, so I ask you, where can people find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Robbie J. Dunn, that's where I usually do most of my hanging out. (laughs) And you can also find his work in AS as well. And again, he is a good follow on on Twitter. He was breaking down a lot of the Gareth Bale stuff. And uh, I know that he does have a lot of tweets about Real Madrid. But again, he is not a Real Madrid reporter. That is not what he is. He's a Liga journalist. So give him a follow, certainly there. Robbie, uh, again, this was an excellent show. Thank you so, so much for helping me with with what really did turn into a La Liga preview. That's what this is. That's going to be the show here. Uh, So thanks to you and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. They can tap in the app and follow you on Twitter. Just, again, hit Robbie Dunn's name in the show notes. You can also subscribe to us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me. And on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group for deeper dive and discussions. That's where we get our LaRonda questions usually. And our Patreon shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. That's where we do the match reviews and that is where you can get the Barcelona Chelsea match review that should have already come out by the time this podcast is hitting your ears we also have a YouTube channel where we have a video coming out tomorrow about players who have things to prove in the preseason that being Barcelona players so you can check that out at the Barcelona podcast YouTube channel check us out hit that subscription button and thanks so much for listening to this the Barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon for us Barca. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.